0: Welcome to the Happy Pair Podcast. We are delighted to have your attention. Uh, So, this week we're going to recap over our first year doing a podcast and we've selected our favorite episodes. So, uh, Sarah, myself, and Dave have all picked our favorite. I'm curious what Sarah and Dave picked and uh, we're going to discuss them and dissect them. Uh, I'm excited. Nice. Yeah, Yeah, because they're really, they're like there's been more than 50 episodes. So, this has been. It's been so much fun over the last while. like it has been one of the highlights of the year really, like it has been a podcast in terms of learning, in terms of school, in terms of my own I thought of it like subject. an MBA of life, you know, it's given, at least for us anyways, and Sarah's picked amazing guests, that sense of exploring topics and people that have always fascinated me, that I wanted to have, you know, two hours to research, them or three hours to research them. and then actually getting to talk to them was like, wow. So anyway, maybe let's get straight into it, right? Who's kicking it all off? Okay, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna kick off with um, the wonderful Philippa Perry. So here's a quick clip I'm gonna put on of one of my favourite clips.
1: Don't forget, what children want is they want to play, they want to feel free, they want to go with their flow, and they need connection. Ta da! Easy. Yeah.
2: When, when, when you say when it you like
0: describe that- it like that, it's like
1: Philippa, you're so right. Well, yes. like, like
0: all my questions are. Dumb because they're just not re- like it's back to stop looking no, at a kid as it like.
1: Questions are not dumb. All your questions are coming from a society that has interests that aren't in children's best interests. Um, I mean, obviously, we are born into families, into a culture, and obviously, part of, of being human is that our interests diverge with other people's interests and this is the ongoing thing that we all have to contend with all our lives so it's kind of good if we just sort of lay that on the table and talk about i want this you want that what should we do about it rather than you will do as i say
3: nice
0: great yeah i feel guilty (laughs) me too because i think so often as being a parent uh, you know, like, but I, I think some of the parenting lessons are so applicable to like ourselves because we're all little kids as well in adult bodies. Like, yeah, the, I really not. Don't think it's exclusive to just parenting. No, of course, children. but that sense of the dictatorship comes out. That sense of
3: I stop think- fighting. I'm right. You're wrong. My favourite bit of that quote is you guys at the start and her saying, uh, no, "Stupid no, question." Yeah, <laughs> no answer is stupid, or no question is stupid, <laughs> except the
0: stupid ones, you stupid heads.
3: But, uh, no. The whole podcast is one. kind of like that, though. It's lovely. Uh, Philip is amazing. Endearing. Yeah. So yeah, parenting.
0: I guess we're parents of five children, not together, but between us. Ha
3: ha ha. Not including Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Anyway. yes, yeah, so uh, being a parent, it's wonderful, it's glorious and good God, it's challenging Do as well.
3: you find that you actually, do you remember any of the pieces of advice she gave you and have you adopted that to any of your kids? I even noticed that
0: last night, last night, um, my son Theo, we were making truffles and I think uh, he wanted to make them his Christmas presents for, I think he was making them for his teacher and he ate one too many truffles and he got kind of real angry and real like a little teenager. Theo's eight And uh, like, I kind of got angry with him getting angry and whinging and moaning. And and then uh, we're in bed. I was lying beside putting Ned to sleep and Theo's in the bunk bed up above. And I was kind of going, Tia, I'm really sorry that I kind of didn't let you give out a bit. And he said, yeah, I'm sorry. I felt really angry. I don't know why I felt angry. And it was amazing when I gave space for him to express why he was behaving the way he was. It was just, it was a total different mutual understanding. And suddenly it was like, I feel seen. I feel seen. Ah, and it was like all this tension just kind of went in that moment, and suddenly it was like I could see his vulnerability, and all I wanted to do was give him a hug and go, "Oh, I'm so sorry."
3: And how old is Theo?
0: Theo's eight, but it was really nice. So yeah, that I, I, there you go. You know, little breakthroughs like that give hope to me, anyway, as a parent.
3: I bought the book. I mean, like two of my friends have just had babies, and didn't know what to buy them. So I panicked and I bought them both uh, Philippa's books and they both actually read them. One of them read them, Theo, you know, Theo, he read it twice and was like, it's amazing. It's absolutely phenomenal. I bought it, but the words were too small,
0: like, and I I just thought, well, we did a podcast with her. So like, that's really, I I should listen to that again.
3: But that's kind of what the podcast is, isn't it? It's like, I feel now I'm really lazy about reading books at all. Because I'm like, we just talk to the people we want to talk to and get all the nuggets we
4: want. Kind (laughs) of is, like, it
0: really, really is. Like, instead of reading books, I'll often go and listen to the podcast because just give me the summary, give me the main, like, there's a couple of main themes and then you fleshed it out, like, you know, and given lots of examples of it. So anyway, right. Do you have any more questions? Okay, right. You ready?
1: I'm just in my head. It's Houston. We have a problem. That's what I say. Let's slow it all down. Let's, let's find out. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. Everybody's got feelings. Let's see what compromises we can make. So nobody's a winner. Nobody's a loser. And that we can help all our feelings. You might think I haven't got time to do that. Oh boy. Once you've done it three or four times, they will be sorting out disputes on their own because they will know how to do it. And if they see you and your partner sorting out disputes like that, sort of like, I feel this, you feel that, how can we get to a place where neither of us feel too bad and and we can move forward? If they can see that's how you do disputes, that's how you deal with difference. You don't have winners and losers. If they've got that, that example with you, And then you teach them by slowing everything right down so everybody knows how they feel. Then, you know, group hugs all around everyone.
0: Scary feelings. No, but like like why I chose that is that the sense of like, it's an aspiration for me. And I think a real breakthrough for me is like, you know, conversation, the goal of conversation. And this was from, what's her name? Melanie Joy. Joy. And this was a huge breakthrough for me, that sense of like, the goal of communication is mutual understanding. It's not one person to be right and one person to be wrong. It's mutual understanding. Both people are seen. Whereas like, whatever way in the world I was brought up in, it, there's sense to be that the competitive bit is in it. Like, I want to be right. You're wrong. I'm better than you. You're less You're less right. Whereas ultimately all we want to be is seen. And I think as a parent, like my children now are like May's preteen and Theo's eight and Theo's feisty and I can be really feisty and Ned can be feisty. And we can all be feisty. But that sense of like, when I come in and they're scrapping and like I come in like like a tornado wanting to just go Rrr! I feel it sometimes like Godzilla coming in and just wanting to go <laughs> and blow it all up, you know, yeah, but yeah, then it's just a gets- madhouse. <laughs> <laughs> it can be. <laughs> it's true. Uh, <laughs> and then how can I make them just all feel seen and work on this? I think it's such a goal for me and listening to it again reminds me and I have no examples of when I nailed it, but last night was, this, you know, I think have less kids. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that, Sarah.
3: Or bigger age gaps.
0: Uh, I mean,
3: Ned's Giving them more attention.
0: I I think more to be more intentional, that sense of, you know, like the benefit of them having siblings, they are going to scrap and then they learn how to kind of see each other within the scraps because you're going to have disputes all your adult life or not all, it, but frequently throughout your adult life. And it's like, how can we solve and how can we make sure we're both seen so? The reason why I chose that was it's an aspiration, something to work on. And it's a great reminder now that's right
3: in my face. But you yeah. are right. It's like you're saying, you know, by bringing Melanie joy. We're listening to Philip. Philip is talking about how to deal with kids. But really, I mean, it's just how we should be dealing with each other.
0: Yeah. Oh, it just is. Just as much. And because feeling like feelings are the, you know, it's, feelings are hard. Like they're the bits that squirm out of the side of you when you're like, the, the, the soft tender little bitsy that we're all kind of hiding and pretending everything is awesome yeah and the feelings are the bits that you sometimes very often you don't want to acknowledge within yourself I've, I've even like recently with Ned okay Ned can be quite this is my youngest son Ned's five and Ned can be Ned just like i will just explode with something and then I'll come in and like try to like tell him why he shouldn't feel it and it's only in recent like few weeks I've actually kind of like it's like Oh, you feel sad. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I know what it feels like to feel sad. And then you start going, yeah, and you took this. And oh, that was really mean. And if I can suddenly empathize, it just goes. And it was like, whereas previously I'd come in and tell him, no, 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 no. And then he'd go, raw, 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 and then it would just, and we'd burn the whole house down. <laughs> and it's like, as soon as I've started doing it, I was like, oh, my God, this is actually, it works and it's really easy. And oh, my God, how did it take me so long to work this out? Yeah. Wow. Sense of so relaxing.
1: <laughs>
0: I know Can it's a common me. Theme with you as a parent it's kid. times
3: like these I'm like super happy I don't have kids when I'm sitting around right, you like tell me these things I'm like oof tough. great <laughs> opportunities for evolution Sarah <laughs> but um yeah do you have more quotes from okay, our uh...
0: one more quote okay last one because I
3: think it leads nicely into my my chose, first okay, chosen guest one. not to take if you wanted to go next no, day no, but no, I might I'm take this mantle <laughs>
1: and at first you've got a toddler that takes tiny little steps and goes like like one mile a day, it's like, oh, God, this is slow. And then around about age five or six, you can walk at the same pace, and then for the rest of your life, you're running to catch up. Well, that's what it's like. And when they're about 17, you're running to catch up. But I tell you, the nicest thing in the world is having An adult-to-adult relationship with your child so that they're your adult, if you know what I mean. And that bond, because no one will know you better than they do. Wow. And it's so beautiful being known like that. And don't worry, you will be loved, even if you've not let them have a computer or you were too scared to let them have a smartphone until they were 21.
3: Yeah. I love that whole, like you know, then they get to an age and you're always chasing after them. That's... But
0: that that felt like a dead poet society, kind of like everyone standing on the table. I could feel a little welling of emotion listening to that. Like, it really felt like, yes, yes, I want that. How do I get that? You know, where you genuinely, you've let go enough and... Just let them do their thing. And maybe, maybe I'm wrongly or rightly have this idea that I think as the father in a relationship, like, I didn't grow my children. They didn't grow inside me. uh, You know... And it's been a different, it's a very different relationship. Maybe there is that other degree of separation that, you know, whereas I think the mother, it's more difficult because they've grown inside. Now, both have their own difficulties, but uh, maybe there is that slight little space of distance where you can almost have that relationship that it is, there's a little more distance where, you, you know, it's less challenging to cut the cord per se and to have a more distant relationship that kind of grow into an adult-adult relationship. If you know what I mean. You're butt-looking, mate, looking weird. No, I... I <laughs> We're no, just part, really of, no, part of me felt like, you're in a hole, Dave, stop no. digging, you're in a hole, stop digging. I know, <laughs> I, I can see so that. I you, meant
3: I did, I, there is that le- little... But I think it also depends on what kind of relationships you have in general with your parents because, you know, my dad worked all the time, so I was still on my mom a lot more. So to grow apart and go from being like the child mother relationship into suddenly friends, probably harder than it is with my dad because there was that bit of just physical distance. Not saying that me and Mel aren't best friends now, but I'm saying is in, you know, I could see maybe mm. from your point of view that like, yeah, it's all about how close you You've are. You've
0: almost got to stop. Like when I think of how to, how to have adult adult relationships, you don't judge one another and you don't keep telling them what to do to be better. You know, yeah. though, Whereas I think often in parents, like that kind of tendency is to go, did you brush your teeth? yeah you know, why do you always wear your hair like that That's so annoying whereas if i think of adult friendships like if someone was like that to me be like i don't want to be your friend anymore you're really annoying
3: that's such a good you point know? like
0: so it's like <laughs> it's more like that really basics that if you want to have an adult re- you know relationship with your kid as they become adults you've got to change yourself and actually be their friend as opposed to stop but being a f- unless they need it
3: then you fall into that problem of trying to too much be their friend that you because you want them to like you too much as that you forget yeah. I think it's a it's constant
0: a trick yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. not anyway, well, it, it was a nice so. uh, like aspiration and something to look forward to as a parent she's a cool woman Phillip, yeah, I, I nice. love that conversation I really loved it and what a great the lady the only
3: thing that kind of I don't know about you guys I, I thought she was absolutely brilliant but when she did her kids voice it always kind of <laughs> gave me like the great, it was yeah, like it's yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's like, what Bordeson. kind of voice is that? And it's her, her trying to be a child voice, and I get it, but I just like ah, every time. Um, does this mean it's my turn?
0: Yeah. Sarah so that's exciting. Fossett, I was going to go with
3: one person, but now I've decided to go with someone else just to mix it up. Ooh. Well, I just know that you guys love this topic, so I thought I'd go with Erica Lust.
0: Oh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> so straight into edgy. Yeah. From parenting to porn. To what a great s- transition! Yeah. Wow, so, um, so we need a lift. seamless.
3: <laughs> that goes so well. Hand in hand together, no? Yeah. Um, So, for anyone uh, listening, Erica Lust, I actually wrote down her little bio quickly. Erica Lust is an award winning filmmaker who creates sex positive adult cinema by portraying relatable characters, realistic sex, and offering a more inclusive cinematic alternative to mass produced mainstream porn.
0: That sounds so much better than the the word porn comes with so much baggage. Whereas what you described there, it's like, oh, I see a person here, as opposed to this, ooh, dirty kind of like grimy in, dark, in a dark alleyway kind of stuff you know behaviour yeah yeah. So, um, but so why did you pick why did you pick Eric tell well, us there Nate. well
3: I, I absolutely love have you been watching her stuff? I think Is she's that... deadly but um, funnily enough I haven't I probably should Confessions X or whatever yeah, I think I'd like to watch some she gave us a yet. free link but did I, she I sh- you never sent that
0: on you kept <laughs> <got> that to <laughs> <I'm> yourself <laughs> now, didn't you you never told me that now <laughs>
3: yeah um enough sex on your mind i thought i'd leave this bit out um no but what i also thought was interesting is the amount of negative feedback we got remember instantly once we put oh. it up the main comments it was like hey, and even
0: it, there were comments by porn isn't education was like that's what we were saying in the but podcast. but I think because we call it ethical porn, people did like ethical porn. I think it's just such a juxtaposition, and that word porn is so triggering. Whereas I think erotic. I movies. don't know how you lead with this topic, but anyway, the essence of this podcast, without stealing your thunder, Sarah, is that you're stealing like, my thunder. Okay, you go to <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> thunder is passed back to Sarah. There you go. Uh,
3: yeah, but okay. Well, cliffhanger. No, but I think what was so interesting with people commenting that quickly was one, it showed it, it because we had only put the post up they clearly hadn't listened to it Two, which just showed how angry people were. Like people were angry. Like, why are you so angry by the word ethical porn? Like, what's triggering that? Maybe it's because many that? people
0: deny that side of themselves massively. And so, yeah. so when they see something like that, it's like, no, you should be denied of it too. Yeah. But, but maybe, but even that denying that part of yourself, it's like I think. Well, what we got from it was that one in three people, one in three searches in the internet are for porn. Porn is prevalent in every aspect of, like, it really is across the board, and people have such negative connotations that maybe it's because we live in such a sex negative. Culture that and porn is not a fair reflection of normal sex. It's it's quite degrading. It's misogynistic. It's loads of other clever big words that I can't quite think of no, now. You were doing I'm good. You're there. Doing good. Sarah, back no, you're to not.
3: You. You're doing great. I but yeah, but I suppose it's. I also wonder with these people because I, I try and think of myself that I'm like, what would make me so angry that I felt the need before I even finish? I don't even think they finished reading the whole post because they the comments came in straight away. I put it up. And uh, what would make me so angry that I felt the need to so quickly just say, how dare you say this? Maybe they were
0: just having a bad day. They were delighted of them. that we gave them a medium which to express their. Well, so, so maybe, maybe okay, well, without all the hype and the, the, the scandal about it now. Why? Why did you pick Erica? <laughs> can we hear? Can we hear your first quote? Maybe that would um, be—that's a
5: good. Okay.
3: Okay. Hold on
5: and very few times the story is actually from our point of view. And I am strongly believing that if more women and others, you know, I'm not only talking about women here, because I think it's very important to have a bigger perspective. And obviously we need a lot of female voices, but we also need LGBTQI plus voices. We need more POC people. We need people from different realities and different backgrounds telling their stories through this media, that in this case is pornography. And I know that for many people, this space can be a little scary because people have such a negative perception of pornography in general, you know. Pornography has this kind of double double face, you know, where people are looking at it during late hours at night when nobody knows what they are doing. And at the same time, in front of other people, they are criticizing it and telling people that porn is bad, you know, and that it's not something that you should enjoy. but then they do it anyhow. And I think that, that we need to kind of stop this hypocrisy I think that we can, I think that porn can be both. I think that porn can be good and porn can be bad. I don't think that it's entirely one thing or the other. I think that it's uh, just a media. It's a type of film where we are portraying sexuality and uh, that you can do that with whatever perspective you have as a creator. Pretty amazing. She's amazing.
0: Like she's so smart and so brave. Like I really think the bravery because this topic, as we realized, is people have so much opinions and it's got so much negativity to it. And I think she's so brave because she's going, she's dragging all the dirty laundry out onto the table and going, society, look at this. Like, this exists. We all have curiosities about sex. We are interested in it. That's why voyeurism... We have, it, fantasy. We, have fa- we have so many ideas about it that we're curious about it. And porn is the only outlet for it. Well, one of the main outlets for it at the moment. And it's, it really is, is done in such a crass debase, not nice way. And what she's talking about is, is like bringing porn into the light in terms of rebranding it as it's, as she described it a lot nicer that it's like adult erotic movies where it's genuinely, it's shot, it's all respectful, it's all consensual, it's all, it's much more realistic as opposed to be completely like, you know, from... Not relatable where it's just like bang, 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 bang. Also,
3: the point is, is that the porn is out there and the porn that she, how she got into it was she realized that there was no porn for her that aroused her. She also talks a lot about women. And I mean, I've I've experienced men, too, who are so concerned about performance element by watching porn that they have no concept of what it is to actually connect. And I suppose for a better word, if you want to call it this, like make love or, mm, you know, connect yeah. with someone sexually. Everything's based on what they've seen. So she's trying to open up the space of like, let's look at how people even having a conversation while they're like, she she talks about the Hollywood of how even in Hollywood, we see it in the wrong way, where it's like, oh, a couple are going to have sex and they don't speak and they just somehow have this glorious sex, but and no words she's are having actually an spoken. Orgasm, this yeah. wild,
0: crazy orgasm. Which is know. just
3: mental. That's not going to happen. And why is there no conversation? And she even brings it into consent. You know, you can, like, these should be heard within even in her erotic films. You hear this. So, um, I, yeah, I, I, just I, was, was- I was
0: watching Sex Education last night, the TV show and i was watching it last night and i was so impressed and one of the episodes like every every move it was showing i can't remember who it was but two of the two of the characters were like having sex for the first time or like making out and every question was like how do you like it do you like what should I start with you know and oh I like getting my ears kissed and the other person was kissing their ears and then it was like do you like it like this and then and what about you may I touch your face you know and it was just it was incredible to see how obvious and they had taken this idea of consent and really portrayed it in a like such a mature way which consent isn't something that's talked about that often
3: no and like the fact that people are now or kids are looking at porn for their sex education opposed to being able to Talk to people, which leads me on to my next Oh, can I say one um, thing about that quote? Oh yeah. I think
0: what what a lot of the porn, as she said, it's like it's like hack culture. It's like into the just the bang, 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 quick next clip, bang, 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 next clip. This is the way often porn is viewed. Whereas she's putting it more in the perspective of a, an adult movie. It's a journey. It's slow. It unfolds. It's unpackaged. There's the conversation afters. It's it shows a lot more of a sense of the reality of. How a sexual relationship happens, as opposed to this kind of short snippet where it's just like arousal, bang, done, over. Wow.
3: Do you guys watch uh, any violent films like thrillers or horror films?
0: No, 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 they don't make me feel good. I feel tense.
3: You feel tense.
0: And I don't feel good about myself generally when I watch them. I like happy, clappy, sunshiny movies. <laughs> they, they watch make The make Three Idiots there at the good. weekend. What a great you movie. You love
3: Bollywood films. Uh, I I
0: don't know. Know. I, I, no, like, but like, I, I just, there's enough misery around if you want to be exposed to not to mind watching in the evening. And I find I'm quite sensitive. So when I watch movies, like I really get into them, like, and I really feel them. And like, I've I've had to stop watching lots of things because I like, I feel like my tummy rumbling and Sab will say to me, you're shaking. And it's like, yeah, I probably should stop watching this.
3: Oh, that's quite lovely.
0: Yeah. But like, if you think about it. Well, Well,
3: I know, (laughs) but I respect that. And it's like, obviously violent films they're it. You're like, if we look at cinema and we look at film, they're all a writer and director's fantasy being like put onto a screen right yeah so what i think is quite interesting is how porn falls into a like dark nobody go there world but 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 yet horror films and violent films which are like you know brutal are shown on the cinema we just put an 18s cap on it and that's so that fantasy is okay (laughs) is what we're telling society you you can fantasize about violent killing people but you cannot fantasize about like weird kinky sex which is something we all do, like we're, we're not, we're all supposed to have sex. <laughs> yeah. It's how we're here on this but planet. I, I
0: think part of it is that word porn is so tarnished and it's so, it has such a negative connotation. I think rebranding it as erotic movies adds this lightness, this sense of there's an openness, there's a, there's a curiosity in it. Whereas with porn, it's just like, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think erotic movies well, sense say- so much nicer. I'm an erotic, like a female erotic movie director. An indie, That's indie erotic movie India, director. it kind of has a touch of coolness to it. But mm. the problem
3: is like, because she says it too, it's like we're all, we are all need to be more conscious consumers because everyone's watching this at night, you know, pretending they're not in the day. And every click we make, every stream we do, even, even though it's free, so we might not think that we're paying for it, but we're basically telling the market that this is what we want. Mm. Yeah. I'm pretty good ad for her films. We should all just start clicking on her
5: films. Yeah, send <laughs> on that free link. But um,
3: next
0: clip.
5: Next clip, it is. Many young people are actively looking out to find information about sex and to figure out how are people actually doing it? What is sex? How, how, what does it look like? Who is doing it? And and they have they have questions. They have many, many questions. If and if nobody is answering all these questions, everybody's kind of putting their head in the sand and saying, "Mm, I don't know. And and many adults, they do this not because, you know, they do it because they honestly they don't feel secure about their own sexuality. They don't, they, maybe they didn't have the sex education that they should have had when they were younger and they don't know how to have these kind of conversations. So, yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. She, I just admire her so much, are you, I really no, do. But
3: how secure are you guys then talking about sex to your kids? Yeah, yeah I've, 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 I've
0: definitely tried to a number of times and they're like, they get a bit giggly about it. Maybe I need to, like I have had one chat with my eldest and it was. I even had a chat this morning at Brecky actually explaining what IVF was.
3: Did you? IVF.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. good one. God, and you could explain
3: I, that to me. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, I started to explain it and they were like, they started giggling, but then I kept going and, you know, we had a conversation around it. Yeah, no, I had a chat with, the, there was the four of them. There was my two elders and Steve's two elders. And I was dropping them down to tennis the other day. And I was like, somehow they were giggling about something in sex. And I was like, sex the most normal thing in the world. Like you guys were all born because your parents had sex. And so is everyone in this planet. Like sex is so normal. It's like eating at the dinner table. Like we, we don't have to giggle about it and sniggle or sliggle about it. Like, And I'm serious. Like if you have any questions, like please ask them. Like I'm more than happy to chat to you about it. And they were like, daddy, shut up, will you? Ugh. You know, and they were kind of at that. But
3: the funny So maybe thing- it's
0: one-on-one chatting to them.
3: But it's it's because then it goes on to like what Dan Savage was saying, another excellent podcast guest, um, was saying about how why when we are explaining what sex is to kids, we always talk about babies being made when Mm. 90 percent of the time it's just pleasure. Yeah, I thought of
0: that this pleasure, Yeah. 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 Pleasure. Like,
3: why are we scared to say, like, it feels really good. It's pleasurable. Like. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. I yeah, I remember
0: those things. PPIC, pleasure, porn, consent. And then there was some other one that I can't remember. So I, that was my acronym to remember Dan Savage's things for teaching your kids. But but the one thing I got from your little quote there was a the sense of uh, often teenagers turn to porn for education. And I think it's just sad. And yeah. I think it's about, you know, we can blame schools, but I think. As a society, we need to create a space for parents to actually be able to have that conversation with their kids. and Parents a friend, have a conversation just, amongst just, one of the first. Absolutely. But even a friend, uh, a big shout out to the wonderful Josh Barrington, um, he's a chaplain in a local school. And he just says, he, he kind of used to give talks on porn and mobile phone usages to teenagers and used to give the talks to the parents. And he'd say like give your kid a, a smartphone when you're comfortable with them sitting alone watching porn on their own. And that was, that was his thing. And he just said like, they're all looking at it. And it's just, he, he can even mention that asking a group of teenagers of girls asking, you know, what, what do they realistically expect from sex? And he was, he was like flabbergasted is probably the best word I can think, but the sense that, you know, many of them believed it was normal to be choked. Many of them thought it was, anyway, I won't carry on, but it was pretty, yeah. But even, group.
3: even like we're talking about teenager and stuff, but you know, I won't name any names, but friends of ours that are in their 20s talk about their experiences with, you know, dating and the sex that's expected of them. It's just like. And the sense of performance. The yeah, sense yeah, of yeah, sex exactly. is
0: performance as opposed to sex ultimately is intimate. There's it's no connection. Feeling. It's
3: There might be conversations, but everything seems to go back to what people have seen. I mean, I'm obviously a blanket statement here. It's not everyone talked to have had this experience.
0: Yeah. But but isn't that like that leads back to bigger issues in terms of like society at large, like we're so obsessed with how we look, which is that's back to performance, you know, it's back to I look good, you know. Yeah. And, and rather than ultimately, like if we had better connections with ourselves, we probably would be less concerned with how we looked. And therefore, if we had better connection with ourselves, well, then if we're going to engage intimately with a friend or a partner or something, we're probably going to be more likely to do it from connection rather than performance.
3: They say millenn- millennials spend more money on... Um,
0: Nutrition pills than getting drunk.
3: No, 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 no. On uh, supplements and yeah. the gym. Personal trainers than they do on drink and drugs.
0: Yeah. Not oh, bad. That's, that's pretty good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, good.
3: It's not a bad thing, definitely. <laughs> hey, at least they're having sex. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, right. are we done with Eric Lust? We can be, yeah. No, 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 no I don't. Go, go for it, Dave.
0: Oh, no, sorry. I wasn't rushing. No,
3: no, 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 no. Okay. I, I I I we're it. also polite. <laughs>
0: okay, great. OK, so my pick is one of my favorite topics, which has come up out of the whole podcast, which is and, and something I think I learned most about, which was menopause, which was something I never expected to become fascinated with. But uh, it really has been. And we had two incredible guests. We had Dr. Shasadi Harper, who she was incredible. She was all about uh, perimenopause. And Louise Newson, It was she's my pick. She's incredible. The queen of menopause. And the whole topic, like we, Dr. Shazadi Harper really kind of got us going on it. And then Louise Newsom got us really, like, I really feel like it's such an under talked about topic. Um, and particularly the fact that it's a hormone deficiency that you can't really do something about. And I just found it incredible. So uh, I'm just going to play a first clip here, which gives a great insight for me. If you can play the first one, Sarah, 342.
4: The only, the type, day you finish menopause is the day you're dead, right? Because it's a hormone deficiency that lasts forever.
0: Wow. That doesn't mm. sound
4: that good. Well, like, it, it, it's not good, but it is good because there's you know, there's treatment options, which we can talk about, but it's the same if you had an underactive thyroid gland or you had diabetes, they're hormone deficiencies, aren't they? So you wouldn't just be diabetic and need insulin for a certain number of years. It would be forever um, if you had type one diabetes or if you had your thyroid gland removed, you would not have thyroxine forever, wouldn't you? So it's just another hormone in our body.
0: Yeah, I, I just think she's amazing. I really do. I think menopause is something that's so, like, now I'm only aware of it recently, but I think it's something that affects half of the population from the age of 40. You know, perimenopause starts and it's it's just not diagnosed and I think it's not talked about and...
3: Yeah, she, she was so interesting. As
0: she describes it, it's a hormone deficiency that you can't supplement; like it just happens, and it. Its main symptoms are irregularity of moods. You know, but, hot but also what's interesting is the sense of she talks about if you didn't interact with thyroid, you just take thyroxin. Mm. You know, the exact same. Whereas, like, you do have a deficiency of estrogen or progesterone you should just take it. But yet as a society at large, whatever with the study she spoke about that came out 20 years previous, kind of saying that HRT causes breast cancer. It's got this real, and HRT comes from a pregnant female cow's uh, urine. And it's bad. Whereas the reality is she spoke about it in a much, you know, obviously, uh, uh, she spoke about it in a much broader context and just showed how, how efficient it is and how beneficial it can be to so many women's health.
3: Well it's also because she spoke about uh, heart disease and dementia being like the main killers for heart attacks wasn't it? And dementia. Yeah,
0: heart disease and dementia. And like
3: uh, hormone replacement actually helps with that so yeah, you know looking just at the stats.
0: Will you put on a clip? Uh, Oh, can I just say one last thing? I think in this topic, for any man who's listened to this, I think, you know, it's something that we as a society need to encourage women to talk about more and also men to support our women through it because it's so fundamental and it's something that's not only like put under the carpet, it's put under the carpet and burned down. Like, it's just like, even women find it hard to talk to other women about it because it's just seemed, I don't know, it's just... Really will you support sad. me, Steve? Yes. And I think we as, we as a group all need to kind of encourage any man listen to it. And hearing this about menopause and Dave and my fascination of menopause, listen to the podcast for your mother, for your friends, for anyone, for women, for society at large, which will ultimately be for yourself. Yeah. Here. Here. Okay, I'm just going to put another clip here.
4: And I think that's really interesting. And I think when you talk about risk, it's really hard, isn't it? Because... When you talk about risk, there's there's different things. Are you comparing like for like for a start, but also there's this thing about relative and absolute risk. So if I say the risk of breast cancer doubles, you'd be going way no, not having that. Whereas if you say it goes from two per 10,000 to four per 10,000, you go, well, actually, most people are fine, they're not gonna get it. So that's a different way of, of looking at relative compared to absolute risk. But then also if you look at it compared to other risk factors, So most women who are not, it's a generalization, but a lot of women I speak to are menopausal. They're scared of HRT because of all this um, media um, sort of scaremongering. But they say, you know what, I'm not exercising anymore because my joints are stiff and sore. I've got no motivation. So not exercising is a risk for breast cancer. I'm drinking more alcohol to numb my symptoms. It's the only way I can get through the evening and just try and improve my mood a bit drinking alcohol, as you say, small increased risk of breast cancer. And then they say, well, I've put on weight because of the metabolic changes that occur because of the menopause, but also I'm just eating rubbish. I'm comfort eating. I can't bother to cook properly. Um, I'm not sleeping well. And we know people that don't sleep well actually increase their weight as well. But I don't want HRT because of this risk of breast cancer. Well, their lifestyle is increasing their risk more. So even if they took The worst type of HRT with the highest risk of breast cancer has ever been shown, but they lose weight, they exercise and they reduce their alcohol, their overall balance will be positive. So their overall risk for breast cancer will be lower than what they're doing at the moment, which is doing nothing.
0: And that's worst case scenario. Yeah. So yeah. I think it just contextualizes that link that seems to just chase. It's like a shadow chasing HRT, the sense of that it will cause breast cancer. Where it but just it is to interesting
3: show. to think of, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you off there, Steve. So um, just, you know, what, what did people do before HRT? You know, what, what did she say? You, like, You're menopausal until you you like back death. 100
0: years ago? Yeah. Or do you mean... Well, 100 just years die. ago, yeah, the, the lifespan was probably significantly less. So it was HRT, or sorry, menopause was seen as like old age.
3: God, that's awful.
0: Well, the thing which I felt like, so so the, the crux of the conversation really is that 12% of the population take HRT. And as we said, menopause is where it's a hormone deficiency. It really is. And as she said at the start there, in terms of diabetes or underactive thyroid, you take some hormone that, it, you know improves your healing with this and back 20 years ago there was uh, there was a study it was a billion dollar study which was done and they were getting really bad results or whatnot and then somehow they got some small correlation between a link to breast cancer which was extremely extremely minor and straight away the it reached the headline saying HRT causes breast cancer and as she said 20 years ago the HRT came from horses urine and this became the you know the cultural paradigm that HRT causes breast cancer but what she talks about is the risk is so minor if you drink a glass of red wine once an evening once a day you know every day of the week you've got just the exact same if not more risk if you're overweight you've got much greater risk than you do of getting breast cancer than you do of taking HRT and like HRT has been kind of demonized in our culture and she talks about it's just How such an what is HRT Dave just uh, for hormone me. replacement therapy okay so yeah yeah, I just thought it was nice. Like
3: it has been demonized so many. Anyone I brought it up to, like even my mom, I was like, D- "Did you take it?" She was like, "No," because she had breast cancer risk in the family.
0: Yeah, and I said it to Sab, who's like, "I." She's all about women empowerment and everything. Really yeah. Without HRT, as she says, like, like. Dr. Louise Newson, who she has a clinic, she says she sees women every day of the week that are they get they get given prescriptions for depression pills. They're leaving their jobs. They're losing motivation. They're putting on weight. Their relationships are getting crap because their hormones are changing. And I think it's part of part of like the equilibrium within our society. It's been a very male led patriarch. Yet, if we do want equal. Equal, equal, equal. Well, we really need to recognize this menopause and we really need to encourage, you know, whether people want to try, as she says, like it's evidence based research, which actually shows that it reduces your risk of dying from heart disease, reduces your risk of getting dementia. Or osteoporosis. And it improves your willpower, your energy, so many various different things. So she said it's to give people the option. It's to really give people the option, because the moment it's about 12% of the population in the UK take HRT, where she says when she's got her Balance app, which is all about, you know, tracking your symptoms from the age of 40, so they actually are aware that your, your hormones are changing. Well, then she says when people actually track it and they go to a doctor, 65% of them take HRT, because they find it just really enhances the quality of their life massively. So
3: HRT is an option, but say if, in general, you were talking about how this needs to be, you know, you didn't know anything about this subject and how it affects 50% of women. You know, we even acknowledge that, like what, what happened before? Oh, you just died. Um, as two men with a lot of women in your lives, um, how do you think you can be more like, what does that look like being more supportive and more aware? Like, is it asking someone if they I interested. came
0: straight up after listening to the Louise Newsome and mom was there and she was sitting with a friend having lunch and I was like an amazing podcast do you take HRT mom? No. Why aren't you taking it? What's the story? And mom was like no I did and then we talked about it more and then she spoke about what well, a friend of mine actually left work because she couldn't work because she just felt she was losing her confidence and now that you say it like wow I should I, I, I really want to listen to that podcast so I think it's having the conversation however I did come straight back to my wife and said you're now early 40s, so yeah, I think you should be taking HRT too and she said don't go telling me about menopause now. I want to feel young and I want to feel sexy. I don't want to feel like I'm kind of this. I was like, okay, got to learn boundaries around, you know. Because
3: we still consider, if you say to a woman in their 40s that then you're, it still has that connotation of being oh that's you done yeah, you know exactly, what I mean yeah. so it's a very sensitive thing oh, to say but it's I, also I learned that yeah but it's also you, you want to be more open and supportive so it's like how can we get to a place in society where a man can mention it and not be like how dare you say that to me right, <laughs> and yeah. be offended or changing the language so it's not an offence to well, say well it.
0: I think it's not necessarily what what you say it's how you say it and okay. as we learn from um, um, Melanie Joy Melanie Joy you know context is more we're becoming inter- more such elevated beings. Well, well, where we can we make it? ourselves sound like them. Anyway, right <laughs> next here we go.
4: It is, and I think there's this, this thing where people have been made to feel guilty, and also then it's quite hard to access it. So, um, you know, we, we did a survey of 3,000 women, and we found that 66% had been offered or given antidepressants for the low mood associated with their menopause. So if they're not getting the right sort of support, information, treatment from their healthcare professional, that will that will confirm their fears. Do you see what I mean? So, you know, we're incredibly busy um, in the clinic, but also elsewhere with some, a lot of the other work I'm doing, listening to stories of women who are refused evidence-based treatment, and. You know in june of this year there were some other guidelines from nice called the shared decision making guidance and this is key for any disease but especially menopause and it is about choice and i think you know with the balance app that you probably know that i've created this free app women can be really empowered with the right information have the right tools to then receive the right treatment and we found that the app users 65% of them are getting HRT if that's what they want. So that's a big difference from 12%, but that's because they've got this confidence and knowledge which they wouldn't have had otherwise.
0: David Flame, why'd you pick that? Ah, um, just to kind of validate exactly what I was ranting on about. Perfect, <laughs> about, you heard about, it twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Good sorry. Good job. <laughs> I, I just want to put one more on because just... Because you're on a roll. Yeah, I'm on a roll and I want to just do one more, sorry.
4: So that's where we have to be looking at this bigger picture So, but people have gone so overboard with the risks of HRT, even with the NHS website, it's telling me about the risks. It's not even telling me that it reduces my risk of a heart attack. Like, why isn't it? Why is it always about risk? Why is it about putting women down? And I find, I mean, it's so much of a bigger picture about women and um, discrimination. And, you know, I've got nothing against men at all. I love my husband dearly, but... You know you can buy viagra over the counter and viagra came out when i was at medical school in the sort of 80s 90s It's it's fast track not only is it being literally it was a private prescription and then they said we could prescribe it and now we can buy it over the counter now there are more risks of viagra than there are with our own hormones yet women aren't even allowed their own hormones like what is that about
0: boom so like i don't have to say anything it says it all Well, just kind of evoke a sense of like, oof, oof, yeah.
3: I really like that. Might
0: drop. Isn't that what you say? Men and their penises get preference over you know, hormones and this One thing case. though,
3: like, so it's easy to sometimes maybe, you know, I could imagine a man listening to this and then he's like, oh God, yeah, my wife, I feel like she hasn't, she's lost confidence, or my wife or my partner, or whatever, lost confidence and like, we haven't been having sex much and this must be the menopause. And then does the stupid thing of going down and thinking that, whereas, can I interject a quote from somebody else later oh, on sure. from another yeah. podcast, just to mix it up. Yeah. As we heard from Dan Savage,
2: boredom is really fatal to a good sexual connection. For women in particular, boredom is really fatal to libido. A woman who is bored, like her libido, will tank. I have so many friends who do research into anorgasmic women, women who can't climax, women who have no sexual desire, no libido at all. And they're in long-term committed relationships, and it's a problem. And the like the relationship's on the brink of disaster and divorce because she has no interest in sex. And they can't, of course, conceive of opening the relationship. So the husband could maybe get sex elsewhere. And the couple ends up divorcing. And then suddenly the woman is insanely horny again. Wow. Because wow. she can have sex with somebody else.
0: I like that good one, Sarah Fawcett. Well, Cross you know, pollination.
3: Maybe, well, maybe she's a bored maybe yeah. she's bored yeah, exactly. as well yeah. so yeah. one should be careful to not assume just because oh you fit all pictures uh. but like but I,
0: I, like as, as the research says typically from the age of 40 is when the perimenopause starts and that typically the symptoms can be very difficult to recognise and as she says herself because there's no blood test because you can't actually test it and she says it's quite ineffective taking blood tests because it depends on what time of the day, what time of the cycle and so many various things so that's why she tracks it in an app and finds it so important tracking symptoms because you know you might think it is just oh we keep having sex in the same bedroom at the same time on the same day every Wednesday week. night whee! nine o'clock are you ready <laughs> you know whereas um <laughs> you know anyway
3: no I hear you and I, I agree but I do think it's um
0: okay should we move on to the next one I you get the idea menopause I'm so into
4: they're all
0: okay okay this person I adored and I even looking at the picture here on uh Spotify Bruce Perry, what a hero! Uh, at least for me. And the bit that it summed up for me was that sense of egalitarian society. I tend to, I've always believed in utopia. I still believe in a utopia. Haven't found it yet, but I'm a dreamer. Uh, and I, I really admire the fact, for anyone, he, he talked about where he went and lived with 14 tribes and they were all of one particular, one particular type. And just by chance, he was to go to see one more tribe, the Penang tribe in Borneo. Went and stayed with them and he taught before he went to them that I've seen it all. I've seen all indigenous life. I've nothing new to learn. And within a day or within a short period of time, he quickly realized, oh my God, these are fundamentally so different. And I'm going to put on a clip
6: that articulates it better than me. (laughs) What I have since realized um, is that they offered me an insight into the time before the agricultural revolution or the neolithic revolution as it's called and how we used to organize societies and and so even though i'd visited all these other groups even some of them were hunter-gatherers and some of them you know were, were um, nomadic and there's a whole spectrum of other groups but when i reflected on it in actual fact each one of those other groups even though they looked some of them looked ancient in their own right were actually quite modern in that they've all taken on this new aspect which has come about in the last 10,000 years called hierarchy and so they all had chiefs they all had shamans they all had stra- stratification within society and all the problems that come with that and when i met with the panan i mean i'd read about this thing called egalitarian but i hadn't it didn't strike me until i met them how that's a complete sea change from anything else that I've seen, like they were almost existing without competition in their hearts. It's like, and it doesn't mean to say that they don't have competition. They've just found tools and methodologies for um, for letting, for, for dealing with that so that it doesn't appear. And so they have like no shaman, no leaders. They're all sovereign individuals, but they've all, but they're also, it's very, very strong collective. And, um, and, and that journey of, of, of meeting them and then meeting certain anthropologists who, who sort of told me what it was that I had come across, because I just thought this was like an anomaly in the middle of nowhere. And then I suddenly realized that, no, every group in Africa and Southeast Asia, basically in the tropics that we first left Africa and went out to Southeast Asia, any group that's still existing there that hasn't been affected by the Neolithic Revolution, all have these similar traits. There's no ownership no competition, no hierarchy, and and there's and there's a strong growing belief now amongst anthropologists that this is basically how we all were for ninety five percent of our time on the planet. I mean, that's that's quite a big deal. That's like how we were, and it's only in the last ten thousand years we've got back into this game of aggression and hierarchy and and competition, and all the rest of it.
0: So I know it's quite a shift going from HRT to um, egalitarian society,
4: <laughs>
6: but now I I'm made a transition
0: it. smoothly. Okay, very I'm good. With so you. Uh, anyone listening there, um, please bear with us. But that sense of egalitarian, like, and it's hard for me even to see the sense of like egalitarian because like I've grown up in a world where like there's hierarchy, there's competition, there's a sense of I, whereas... You know when he speaks to the Panam tribe, in that sense of they see it as this sense of we, and they see it much more a sense of like the inherent, like often in spiritual terms, they'll often say the most selfish thing you can do is to do something for someone else, a selfless act, because ultimately we're all one, and you're just it comes back to you, you know, twofold. But in modern day society, often you know the individual is celebrated, even the term celebrity, someone is celebrated because they're up for their excellence, but in reality. You know, for their accent, they had committed parents, they had lots of resources, they were graced with lots of talent. So ultimately, you know, it's ultimately, it really is about the we, but modern day society sees it through the lens of I, unfortunately. So it's quite hard to even relate to this, what he's saying. My good, yeah. The one word which jumped at me was no competition, which that to me, like as an identical twin who's been competing in a product of society that is very much competition based. The thought of no competition sounds like, oh my God. God, how lovely. Like, I watched the movie The Three Idiots this week. And if anyone hasn't watched it, it's like a Bollywood movie from 2009. Hindi movie that's so good. It's like, it's a classic. It really is. All is well. All is well. But the main message in it is really about... um, about like you know following your heart and you know rather than striving to external to validate your parents goals or society's kind of things that you think you should value value it's about you know listening to yourself and unfolding like really committing to yourself and unfolding rather than under pressure whereas i think modern society we're we're so thought to be competitive creatures competing to strive to to supposedly be successful and then we're going to get our parents' validation or we're going to get society's validation. Whereas I think what Bruce Parry's talking about is where we don't need to do this and there is that inherent sense of acceptance and curiosity. To uh,
3: each uh,
0: maybe not even that. Maybe it's even deeper. Maybe it's more the spiritual. Like so many of us nowadays, I believe, and I say this for myself really, is that we're going along where there's, there is a hole within ourselves. There is, there, we are missing that spiritual piece, that connection to a greater. On that point, i have a very good one here oh, the topic spirituality look here right
6: but it's a sense that i get is that they're feeling more empathically connected to each other in the forest and when you have a sense of empathy is you know as you as as we all know that shifts also your behavior because if my feelings are directly related to your feelings or the forest feelings then then it's in my interest that you're doing all right you know your pains my pain your pleasures my pleasure let's let you know i'm i'm more inclined to be acting positively in that space if i have a deep sense of empathy with everything
0: So uh, there, like the reason why I chose that is that sense of empathy, that empathy is often seldom celebrated in our society. It's a trait that's often seen largely, you know, owned by females predominantly, whereas empathy it's it's like a superpower. It's like beneath empathy is that understanding that we are all one and that sense of your feelings and my feelings are all linked. And the more you feel well, the more I feel well and the more we all prosper. And ultimately, it's that oneness, that sense of whole, that sense of many religions seek that sense of oneness and that wholeness. I think it's quite hard
3: different. in today's society when you mm-hmm. have so many, you know, we surround ourselves by so many people that we have friends on Instagram or Facebook, whatever you're using. Then also, you know, What's we can travel. And text
0: and emails and oh my God All these
3: things. So it's so hard to, I think, actually feel empathy anymore because it's just too many people.
0: We're overstimulated.
3: We're overstimulated, totally. And like, disc- You don't have time.
0: Disconnected.
3: Yeah. Disconnected. Isn't
0: that the Dunbar number that you can be friends with, I think? you know, less than a hundred people. You can know, I think maybe it's like 500 people and then you can have like 1500 acquaintances or something, but you can only have like, you know, a certain number of close friends. Whereas I think that's been put to the absolute test in modern culture and society. Okay. Next one, I got on the topic of spirituality. This one is about the sense of presence and how language can impact how we experience presence with this world
6: we we, we visit the panan in the film and then i go on and visit this other group called the the um the piraha in the amazon i don't know if you remember them they're the guys who basically um who have no sense of l- language, future and past tense in their language. So they, whether they want to or not, can't help but just being present. They can't even abstract out and d- daydream about future times and uh, past times because they haven't got the linguistics to do it. So like, so they're, they're very, very, very much about the present. Um, and I, I, that sounded a bit glib. I don't mean to, to, for it to be glib. They're an amazing group of people, but it is funny about how they're so fixated on the present that they, they haven't even created a, a linguistics for um, future and past tense. It doesn't mean to say they don't have a future and past tense. It just it just isn't a language for it or the, the um, what's the word the uh, the vocabulary for it. Um, so it, when when we meet those people um, in the film. What we what we what we discover, which is the main reason I went, is that they have a running dialogue with something that is out there talking to them. Um, and you know, so as you say, spirituality it's like you know, many of us would imagine that 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 um, we we hear about indigenous peoples who have connections to um, you know deities or the spirit realm or whatever. Um, and I've I've come across that in many places with you know, shamans doing drumming or or you know plant medicines or what have you. Um but uh but I've never come across group people who have it innately without any need for any type of activity that takes them into that realm. These people just seem to have it and this running dialogue with a spirit entity that um that's just there. And so my sort of, it fitted in with the theorem that I was creating in the film was like, this is all about them being incredibly present.
3: I'm not going to lie. I quite like having a past, future tense.
6: I was going to like propose that
0: we like stop talking.
3: (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to, I'd like to know how happy. I'm sure these people are very happy, but like. But maybe but, it's, but
0: maybe it's way beyond happy. It's content. And I, like, I can at least speak from my own experience in relative to being fully at the most presence I've ever, ever experienced. I remember finishing a 10 day Vipassana meditation retreat. And I remember I we were meditating 12 hours a day and there was no talking for 12 days. Yeah, it was. Ten days, days, no talking at all. And I remember finishing it and my language was largely in the present tense. And when you spoke, I felt euphoric, like absolutely drunk on verbalizing and connecting with other people. But that sense of after that, there was a lot more consideration when I spoke and there was a lot more awareness of the future and the past and the sense of like, but all we have is now. You know, all we have is now. Yeah, I know. And I just. Uh, I'm
3: sure it's lovely, but, you know, I'm just talking from a day to day basis. It's quite nice. You know, we live in a society that if we all lived in the present, like there's a probably I, I'm not saying that like what they're doing isn't great and lovely, but I'm not exactly thinking that right now it'd be better for us to all fully focus on the present. I think you take learnings from it and you're like, maybe we can connect more. Well, but. One
0: thing to give an example is like it took Ned to he was about four to understand the sense of past and future.
3: Yes, because he was four.
0: But but also because he only lived in the present moment. There was a sense of an inherent trust in, as they spoke, this sense of deity outside of themselves. And it was, uh, I, I think what I wanted to finish with there was that sense of, forgot it. Toss floating around the room here. I'm looking for
3: Sorry But I maybe your
0: talk. But may, maybe the thing which I get is that and and what I was saying before you kinda of put on that clip that I think many of us are existing nowadays with a scarcity of spirituality where genuinely I think we are starved, like our spirits are starved of that inherent presence and slowing down, and modern culture is so fast and now and stimulating and future and future and past, and then I'm gonna get a ticket for there, and then when I get on holidays, and then when I get that job, and then oh and on Wednesday. Night we might have sex you know and it's always kind of future orientated whereas when i I look at my reflect into myself when i'm when i most tend to enjoy myself is when i'm really relaxed and i'm in the present moment that's when i'm most content and that's why i think i'm more curious of these kind of tribes and how they lived and how we can apply them to today's culture yeah Yeah. even i can relate to myself like say i do lots of things on social media and when i'm totally immersed in the moment social media is nowhere near it And I think modern day, so many of us experience modern day living and use our phones as a significant part of it. But when, when you're fully immersed in the present moment, generally your phone isn't, isn't the outlet. You're just consumed by the present moment and you're so engaged and so lit up. And I think the example of this, just the sense of the present moment and being able to hear, you know, that sense of connection to the forest, I thought was very beautiful.
3: No, it is beautiful.
0: Okay, can I finish one, one last Bruce Perry one? Because there's a sense of, at the fundamental root of egalitarian is the sense of thinking more like a we and less like an I. And it just comes back to that Malcolm X quote, that sense of, you know, if you look at the word illness, I'm paraphrasing this, if you look at the word illness, it starts with I. And if you look at the word wellness, it starts with we. And I think it's the more we can collectively see that we are an intrinsic part of society and that we must, the more we see it as a we, the more we all benefit and ultimately the eye benefits
6: too. And the question is, how do we go about it? And like, you know, when I talk about egalitarianism and and this sort of stuff, a lot of people just sort of raise their eyes and go, well, look, it's a time gone by. We're not hunter-gatherers anymore. It's like, we're not living in the tropics with abundant resources. We're in this other space. And that's true, you know. It's really hard to imagine because it is a different paradigm. You know, it's like it's not about exchange; it's about giving. It's about it's it's not about ownership. It's all of these things that are so embedded in our society are turned on their head when you look at how they're living. Um, and yet, I'm still somehow convinced that it is that it holds the answer, you know. And like I don't know, I don't have a simple. Um, solution other than give it a go you know that that's it it's like i know the reason i'm so driven is because i've met people who are existing like that and and i i i've given talks about this before and i know that it just goes over people's heads a lot of the time and i'm like fight, this is so far away from anyone's consciousness it's true the true understanding of this egalitarian way is so far away that i just sound either naive or or or, or just foolish, really, because it's just it, it. It's hard to get, and that's where I got to. It's like okay, the only way this is actually going to land for others if is if they can also experience it like I experienced it. And the only way they're going to do that because not everyone's going to fly out to Borneo or to the Congo is that I, okay? I've just got to try it, you know. So that's the journey I'm on, and um, and it's not. Uh, it's a long way from, it's a long way from, you know, I'm still in the very, very, very embryonic stage of um, building something. Wow.
0: I love how that it's not like he's he's kind of saying he doesn't have to apply it. Like it's a concept and it's so, it's not like he's got a dogma. It's, which it's almost trying, like, okay, we're right now, 2021, The Matrix is the big movie, blockbuster movie out. And I remember when that first came out, like it was so like, even conceptually and philosophically, that sense of, oh my God, like that sense of, it's quite existential. But I think when he talks about like, you know, that ultimately it's about giving and not ownership. Even for me to think about not ownership, it's like, Whoa. Well, I immediately thought of Ram Dass, you know, the guy who wrote that book, Be Here Now. And he kind of went from an esteemed Harvard philosophy professor with loads of possessions and things and quote unquote successful. And then he went on this like psychedelic trip back in the 60s and 70s and then ended up in India with gurus and changed his name to Ram Dass and got inherently curious about being more present and how to, it's this, he went on a spiritual trip and um, yeah, he, he gave away all his possessions and really just, even when he wrote the book, which was, a, you know, it still is a bestseller. Um, all the money goes to charities and whatnot. So the sense of freedom, and I was only thinking there in my head, geez, imagine writing a book where you're just pure, like there's no... Doesn't, it, you're just doing something purely for the curiosity of doing it to do the best thing as opposed to with any kind of going, what do I get back for it that's you know? like Rancho Rancho in uh, The Three Idiots yeah there we go back to there we go anyway yeah. that's me me and Bruce Parry our, our dates our love affair no, with Bruce. But I,
3: no and I don't want to say negative about him I, I think he's great I loved it all but um, I, I do think it's interesting how can you adopt living in the present in a society that is so not about the present. Well, it doesn't 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 start with each one of us. And doesn't
0: it start with community? Like, we become a product of our community. And if you're living in a spiritual community that really focuses on presence, you're more likely to experience presence. Not even that. I would say that if you change your world inside, well, then your world outside is obviously going to change. So if each one of us can take responsibility to be more present and, you know... I'm getting high fives here But I really do I think it starts With each one of us If each one of us Can cultivate more ease More grace More presence in our day Well then the world outside Is going to look like this Whereas if internally If I'm fighting with myself And scrapping myself I'm going to fight With every person I bump into The weather's going to be raining Like the news is awful And it'll be crap Whereas if there's ease And fluidity Lovely soft gentle rain on me You know or whatever Like my perspective Will most likely be different I like that I think you're winning this podcast Ah thanks Steve It's a a competition isn't it Well, I'm yeah. taking the piss egalitarian yeah. Yeah. yeah there we are
3: does this mean it's my turn
0: yep. Sarah Fossett
3: so I was like jumping oh quickly I was going to ask did you I mean because you you love Sarah, to do Sarah all
0: the, your podcasts you've chosen are all on the topic of sex
3: oh just stop it Stephen No, I don't can on to the next a <laughs> I was going to ask you because uh, you guys um, for, for anyone who listens all the time to all the podcast episodes you, you love do. you love to do a kind of um you know, top tips for health, longevity, whatever it is. Did you do one with Bruce?
0: Yeah, we did one at the J. Yeah, he tips. gave three take-homes and he said, I hate these questions. I'm not very good at these questions. Uh, and his three where, do you want them?
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, number one was believe that utopia is possible. And our deep ancestors really were peaceful. Uh, and that this sense of egalitarian living did exist. Second, start making steps to this belief. Action. You know, beneath conditioning, there's a really beautiful parts of us. And do the internal work, like as, as Dave suggests in that sense of cultivating a sense of presence. Well done, David. And the third one was gather together, find like-minded people, unison, start clubs, come together. It's a lot easier when we do it with others.
3: Community. Well done, yeah. Stephen. Yeah, and he's a
0: big man into plant medicines, I think, Bruce, isn't he?
3: Yeah, sure. Everyone is these days. Yeah. My turn. Thanks, Steve, for pointing out that I love to talk about sex, but hello.
0: Great. And
3: our wonderful, I know we just had him, but I absolutely love him.
0: What do you love about him, sir?
3: I just, I mean, listening to him, he's just so soothing to listen to. I know he's that's just his voice, voice, but isn't it wonderful?
0: Yeah, but he's also really wise. Like he's, he's like so somebody who's been dinner. Well, behind it. that voice is a sense of presence. There's a real sense of empathy, and there's a real just grace in how he elocutes himself, and
3: realistic and looking at things in a totally different way. That once he says it, you're like, oh yeah, that makes loads of sense. Yeah. Um, one thing I he he he's gotten criticized before, I think, for um, being you know. What has, right has he to be in the position he is giving advice? And goes the qualification you need to give your opinion is someone has asked you for it, <laughs> so you just have to ask. He's <laughs> like, "Oh, that's brilliant." But um, I'll lead into uh, yeah, this is it's on sex, but it's more about the relationship aspect. Thank you very much, Stephen. Sorry, sir. Um, and I thought one thing he says is brilliant is about the one and how we're all looking for the one and what the one really is. So with that. I will lead you on to my quote.
2: It's a lovely idea. And I think it's a hyperbolic compliment that you pay someone, you call them the one, you treat them like they're the one. And in the naming them the one and treating them like the one, they can become the one for you. But there is no the one. There's maybe a 0.67, a 0.74, and it's your job to round that motherfucker up to the one, but that's an act of will. And, And you do that, you know, you love and accept someone for their faults. You love and accept someone, even though they're not everything that you might want or need in one human being. And you have to accept that they're doing the same for you. They're rounding you up too. And there's beauty in that. And there's something lovely about that. The one is a person that you create just like, you know, a couple, a marriage, a relationship is a myth often that two people create together. It's a story they tell each other about each other and about what they mean to each other. And sometimes that story has to be revised, but it is a story. And the one is a, I don't want to call it a lie. It's a compliment. It's an exaggeration. It's an—it's a rounding up process.
3: I love that. And they're rounding you up too. Mm. And there's beauty in that. Yeah.
2: yeah. You know, Pete, really I, I've had
3: so many friends Sorry, I'm throwing all my friends under the bus. This <laughs> <laughs> They're all wonderful people. You've got
4: loads
0: of friends, sir.
3: I've got loads of friends. Um, but yeah, it's just like, you know, contemplating, mm, picking holes. I mean, it's normally at the start of a kind of relationship, but like, I mean, it's like they fail sometimes to see that, you know, the other person's probably picking holes at you too. N- neither of you are perfect. And just put the time in to see if it actually could work opposed to just jumping ship straight away. I, I wonder if like in today's like, you know, Tinder culture, you know, we constantly think there is somebody else out there and that we will find that person. And I'm not saying either that I just give in to whoever you meet. But I don't know. I thought it was interesting. It's like, try, try a bit harder here.
0: I, I, remember, I remember me and Steve when we were grown up, we used to watch loads of romantic Dramas like we were just such sappy, you know. We just loved watching. Oh, I want Isn't to watch Serendipity. I want to watch Serendipity. I was just Serendipity. I want to watch Serendipity. ones like we used to watch them. We used to love them. So like there was, there's definitely she... a bit of us that like is that romantic, like loves that idea. of well, the one. And I remember uh, back when I was starting dating Sab, my wife. Um, I, remember, wife. I remember we were walking along, with <laughs> My wife. And I was asking her about uh, oh, soulmates or something. I was asking about and she she's like a really practical belgian um woman and she says uh no i don't believe in soulmates at all like you know there's loads of people you could be with like there's loads of people you just got to pick one and really commit with it and like make it make it really work like and i thought like and at the time i was like
3: that's very damn savage of her
0: i I, I agree too but the romantic in me was like what i'm not your
4: soulmate oh my god
0: (laughs) you are her soulmate now david no i'm not but that's (laughs) her husband I'm at point 0.6 something maybe. She's rounded it's up to point 0.7. <laughs> yeah. It's not even she's number slowly one. bringing you up point seven one, I think you're at now. She told me this morning. Okay, great. Um,
3: but he's, he's great because he's, his whole idea is based around um, not being faithful to, I mean, he's got m- many opinions, but be, not being faithful to monogamy, but being faithful to the person.
0: Yeah, yeah. Though I thought this was quite groundbreaking, yeah. quite kind of almost challenging the kind of very institution of, Marriage and, and society and commitment. It was like it's like it's like. Oh my god! Is it? Did he say that?
3: Definitely. Because I even thought you know he's he talks about um being unfaithful at one point or like infidelity, and I remember talking to a friend before about how you know what's better is it better to if your partner cheats on you is it better to know or not know? Now that's having said in the context of they regret it. You know, obviously if they cheat on you and it becomes an ongoing thing, well you you obviously need to have a conversation about that. And I, I always thought, like, to be honest, I'd rather, like, ignorance is bliss. Like, because once they tell me, then I feel like they've just offloaded their own guilt onto me. Whereas I'd rather they just felt guilty for the rest of their lives and we had a lovely relationship than knowing. I don't know.
0: I'm not sure if I agree you with you prefer to know?
3: Them. Well, maybe in the context but of I, I, I
0: don't know. I, I see table. truth. I see, at trust. least for me, trust and truth are intertwined and honesty, like, they're something that I really value. So, like... I'd much sooner know than not know, even if it was hard and we had to have hard conversations, at least at the very essence did be honesty. Yeah, I I think true growth comes out of like having to have these difficult conversations and reaching new little plateaus. And as he kind of says about boredom, you know, boredom is, you know, he says, well, his relationships, they're certainly not boring. And I really think the cornerstone of any relationship is trust and honesty, because as Melanie Joy, which is someone else who you really like, she talks about security being so important, like each of us feeling secure you know, like emotional security is so important within a relationship. And I think without trust, you can't have this.
3: And I completely agree. But what if there that isn't fully available? Like he gives that one example. Yeah, and I, which I'm I will, with him.
0: Like, that's a great exception to the rule.
3: I'm going to, I'm
0: going to. No, like, can I play my clip? Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah.
2: People say cheating is never OK. And then I'm like, OK, here I have a letter from a man who is married to a woman who is homebound. Who has a chronic illness They have two special needs kids that they take care of together. There's no sex in this relationship and the guy is losing his mind and the woman just has no interest in sex and has told him she will never have sex again, but she also doesn't want him breaking their monogamous commitment. What should he do? Cheat or abandon his wife and kids? You pick. Those are the cases I get all the time it's easy to say cheating is always wrong. When you're faced with something like that, as I have been again and again and again, I look at that and I go, okay, cheating ain't great. It is a betrayal, but it is a smaller betrayal than abandoning your wife and kids would be basis. Uh, in terms of the
0: quote that Sarah picked, Shawnee said something very, the fact that he to go so far Anyway, down the rabbit hole so deep proves that it's. I mean, that it's in very rare cases that That infidelity is justifiable.
3: I know, and obviously communication is key, and it's amazing. But I do like questioning the thought that we have this idea about cheating, which Dan talks about a lot, as you know, being like unfaithful is like the number one bag thing in a relationship. And more people would look at that as that's the end than they would at that's something to work out. And yeah, I feel- and go, What
0: needs are being missed? Yeah,
3: and like, you know, listening to someone like Dan actually puts me more at ease that like, God forbid, Harold and I couldn't communicate and he didn't, wasn't able to tell me his needs and he did cheat. You know, it's not like, oh, that's that's the end. That's done then. That's like the the- worst thing that you can do in a relationship and you really have to like we put so much emphasis on sex it's kind of and, and also of the, the
0: bit that like when dan spoke about the sense of you know when someone has been in a relationship for 40 years and they made one mistake they failed at it you know the, yeah. that monogamy there's one standard perfect yeah nothing it, exactly. and, and just the sense that that was really good like you you lived like how many days with that you know you did it perfect and one day you I, did love, I love I love his concept of monogamish because there's you know with any relationship there's like there's unsaid kind of justifications within the thing like how close can you you know you're you're the people who you're attracted to how close can you have these friends how much time can you spend with them like and it's just various little boundaries which we're all putting on it within our own relationships and I think what's so important is the curiosity not culling one of those curiosity like you know Sab says that are hey, still being respectful well, absolutely well like you know if you are attracted to someone else like just talk to your partner and tell them and, and
3: it's, it's normal it's absolutely
0: normal it's, there's a lot of attractive people on this planet like he,
3: he, even as he says it's like if monogamy was something that was inherent that we all should do, then we wouldn't even be able to fall for someone else or look at someone else while we're in a relationship because it would have been pre-programmed in us. Yeah. So it just proves the point. And I think, you know, a lot of the times it's fun to fantasize. It's fun to flirt. Like flirting is so healthy with other people. And a lot of times that's probably all you want to do anyway. But to think that like you can't like the amount of people I know have had commitment issues. And I'm like, I wonder if are the way society viewed these things was a little bit more open would people have as many commitment issues because it wouldn't feel so like this is the only person you can, yeah, you wouldn't feel, and it might be the only person they ever want to be with sexually or whatever for the rest of their lives, but that feeling of like,
0: but amazing when someone is given that sense of freedom, they'll seldom take it.
3: Yeah, exactly. Because they
0: actually feel like, well, they appreciate it. It's like, oh, well, no, I really appreciate that. Yeah, like and, and often i there was another guy who used to listen to Paul Lowe and he used to say all the time that like if you really love someone you will encourage them to go be curious and to do what they are curious about like and if that's maybe you know going on a date with someone else well maybe and, and I thought that was a very I'd never thought of it in that context that you're like you're curtailing someone else and I thought that was interesting to validate um, Dan's idea of monogamy. However for anyone However, listening and really believes in monogamy perfect we're not saying monogamy is bad oh we're not no, saying no monogamy is good we're just saying that there are all turn rubs, and I think as a society the more we can be open, more accepting, and more sense of understanding the pluralistic nature of life, the more we will all. Nice be. word, pluralistic. Where did you get that one from? I I John good. Stewart said. I thought it was really cool. I said I must remember that one. That'll that, make me sound great. Yeah.
3: And, and now I, I just want to end my my Your note piece. on oh, which kind of goes back to oh, can't wait. Erica as well is um, communication during sex and how.
0: How's it going for you? Well, Dan (laughs) has a
3: great point about how like gay sex is so much better because it's not just like, you know, you know, two, a heterosexual couple get together, they decide they're going to have sex and then it's, they have sex. You know, there's no conversation around. There's no, what are you into? Because, you know, gay people, it's like, well, I might not be into anal. I might be into like, uh, you know, communal masturbation or whatever <laughs> it like, is that two
0: the skates, <laughs> two around the floor.
3: no but it's like there's a conversation to have, and they ask like one of the first things that they say is they Pretty i'm into. just going to play the clip yeah i'm going to say it all wrong and you're just going to slag me <laughs> no
2: you're doing wonderful you said at the beginning communication nothing makes you better at sex than communication Straight people often stop communicating about sex after they get to consent. Yes, we've established mutual attraction and desire. We are gonna have sex now. And then straight people stop talking because it's gonna be penis and vagina or PIV intercourse as it's usually called in my business, PIV. (laughs) That's just assumed, that's a default. That's what straight sex is. When a man and a man go to bed together for the first time, they get to consent. You know, Both guys are interested, they've mutually established desire. And then they begin to talk. That's the beginning of the conversation about sex because what happens next can't be assumed. It has to be negotiated. That makes gay people better at sex than straight people. We're not communicating because we're more highly evolved or smarter or more thoughtful. We're communicating because we can't avoid it. We have to have a conversation because we don't default to PIV. We don't even default to PIB or penis and butt because there's two penises and two butts. So whose penis and whose butt requires a conversation if that's <laughs> even gonna if that's even gonna happen. Um, you know, gay people, we took marriage from straight people, but we've still let straight people get married because we're very generous that way. If there's anything that straight people could take from gay people, it's the four magic words that starts every same-sex encounter. The first time two guys are gonna have sex, one of them looks at the other and says, what are you into? What do you want to do? What are you up for? And it's, and I've been in play, case, instances in my own life where we looked at each other, we're making out, we're going to have sex, and we both at the exact same time said, what are you into together to each other? To be asked that question by a sex partner is just tremendously empowering. And it's an open-ended question. Like you can name anything at that moment. And gay people do feel empowered by that question imagine straight sex and how different it would be if when a man and a woman were about to go to bed together somebody said what are you into and at that moment both the man and the woman could rule anything in anything out I
0: love that I think that's fascinating and I think whatever way there seems to be almost a block in so many people once consent is is kind of reached that sense of at least for me growing up whenever I kind of like consent was reached you know before I was married and that sense of like there was a fear of having the conversation. There was an awkwardness. There was a just almost a, and so often I was drunk anyway. Like so, so seldom of my kind of you know my more youthful, um, relationships. I was where sober. So it's like I don't know. There was. A, did you find it an inherent block, a sense of like awkwardness to just to talk about it? Whereas as I become more mature and more connected to myself, the more. In, inherent that sense of like sex is making love and the more we can move it more towards that sense of making love of intimacy of connection of like of this something beautiful the more it's like,
6: it's, I like it feels jenny,
0: wonderful i like the way jenny keen said like sex is life like how you show up in life is how you show up in sex like yeah. it's all one thing it's not a separate yeah. thing it's all like it's really just a connected well, we should be able to talk about,
3: some... about it like we talk about eating and sleeping and because we do it all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> well we have a bit of a taboo by talking about pooing too much bit more mm-hmm. open in irish culture anyway <laughs> maybe
0: okay uh, uh, uh-
3: it's your turn, David. Oh, yes. sorry, that was kind of very abrupt. Sorry,
0: <laughs> that was okay, David.
3: No, okay.
0: So, last one, which I picked, was someone who I admire, and I think he's deadly. And he's and deadly means really good. Um, Russell Brand, someone I've admired for years, and we've got to meet and hang out with, and someone who we can call a friend. Um, and I think he's just fascinating his his journey of transformation and his curiosity for spirituality and his bravery to kind of have these conversations and bring these issues out into you know, into the masses, really, in terms of spirituality, in terms of, and what I admire most is that he really has tried a lot of the things which society has kind of espouses as what you need to do to feel good and for success in terms of, like, you know, fame and money and sex and alcoholism and drugism. He's tried them all to the extremities and said, like, they will not make you feel good, like, and ultimately his his mantra now is, like, it's about how can I be connected to myself? How can I have a better life? You know, the more I'm connected to myself, the more the experience of life is better. So I remember first thing I'm just going to kick off was I asked him, so what's your formula now? Like, what do you do? Like, what makes you feel good? And what do you do when you feel crap? And uh, this is it.
7: Like, you know, and this is what I'm saying is I'm not always able to do this. But if I'm unhappy, it gives me a little mental checklist of like, right, what are you not doing? Why are you unhappy? What's going on? gratitude be that you know that's just to look at my life for what I have rather than what I don't have acceptance not to live continually in resistance of reality Um, serenity the value of serenity then a very simple and important thing service like every day if I'm these are all guided by I suppose checking in with my own feelings like say if I'm feeling irritable or anxious I think have I done anything for anyone else today? Have I done anything that's not just about I want this, I want you know so like so acceptance, gratitude, surrender, service, meditation prayer there's lots and lots of principles, and like I say to you, like i'm not always doing these things a lot of time I'm, my principles are selfishness, greed, glamour, glory. But they always lead me to disappointment when I when I re-engage with those ideas. And when that disappointment comes, I think, oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot. I'm not meant to be like selfish narcissist. I'm supposed to be helping people.
0: I love that. The big thing that stands out there for me is resistance, that sense of resisting to accept what's happening in the present, because that's what so much of stress is. And just when I hear it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good one to work on. You yeah. know, and that kind of flows with that sense of, you know, getting into flow state or being fully present and accepting of the moment. I, li- I like the way he says the word serenity. serenity. I can't say probably serenity or something. He says it really, you know.
3: I love the bit, in the, that. not in that quote you just did there, when you all start eating an orange together.
0: Yeah. What it was, was like, the
3: odds that he had an orange in front of him as well?
0: <laughs> you yeah. we unified true oranges. Yeah. Or- oranges, <laughs> we call them oranges, oranges. not oranges. Did okay. You know, next quote, ladies and gentlemen. Here it goes.
7: Prayer and meditation every day. Like, I try to do it as the first thing that I do. Like, you guys, I've got children, young children, and like, so that means it's real easy for the day to slalom off course very, very quickly. And it's such a joy to be in their world. And you know, but like, for me, if I don't pray and meditate like early in the day, I sort of feel a bit sort of off key. So, that I do every day. I do some form of exercise every day. In, like I feel like it's necessary to sort of sweat and use the body um, and I try to do some things for other people every day and this is like for me mostly it's sort of just sort of uh, like of phone calls like helping people out and thinking right is there someone else I could be helping don't just spend all your time thinking about yourself other times when it's sort of more permitted Like, you know, I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I love doing Wim Hof work. I love doing stuff to relate to the breath. I've, like, started doing tapping. You should talk to that guy, Nick Ortner, from Tapping Solutions. He does, like, these tapping things that can help you through anxiety and fear, tapping different parts of the body and reprogramming yourself. You know, so, look, I'm interested in primarily... This is what I'm interested in, the sacred. I understand sacredness to be that there is a reality not immediately ascertainable through the senses but continually present that can inform your reality if you try to have a relationship with that everything in your life will change i think that many of the problems in the world that we have now are as a result of us thinking that nothing is sacred that everything's just what you see what you can measure what you can sell and so Many of the things in my life are about reminding myself that there is something else, that there is another world, an ulterior world beyond the senses, but influencing our reality. So whether it's the breath work or the jujitsu or the yoga or the getting in cold water, which I know you guys like, you know, I try to find like I try to find
0: sacredness in these things.
3: Do you believe in another universe?
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I totally believe that like, you know, wonder, wonder is an incredible thing to cultivate because nowadays we go around, oh, the bus is late, the train is late, oh, my plane is late and all these kind of things. And we forget about the absolute incredibleness in every second. Like we're sitting here having a chat to one another with all these devices all around us. And if you take a second to actually think about it, like and go, oh my God, we're talking to this microphone. Like, how did this get built? All the various things. Who the heck came up with this? And it's supposedly going out and other people are listening to it. Like, what an amazing concept. Like, it's incredible. We're eating a chocolate bar. How delicious is that? Like, And to, t- t- to really sit and think about how much wonder there is in every moment. I think so, like... I, I suffer from it just like everyone else. Jeez, I'm late. I'm five minutes late. Oh my God, and I've got to meet this. And you forget about that. The amount of things to marvel at. If you were to connect into your inner three-year-old, like it's incredible. Like there's so much absolute amazing stuff in every moment. And I think that's what he's talking about, the sacredness, that there's so much magic in every single day. And yet so many of us are caught up with, and, and me too, I'm not saying I'm independent of this, of the stresses and strains of modern life. Yeah, beautiful. I think that sense of, um, you know, when when someone is in love, it's the ultimate intoxication of the present moment and the intoxication of just seeing the beauty in someone and not seeing the other side. And I think the more we can cultivate that sense of presence where you can just wonder with even touch, like I'm touching that bar of chocolate and wow, you know, and it seems so simple and even me saying it sounds stupid, but I think the more we can, like uh, I was trying to say a little thing about Ned earlier where I'd go, Ned would go, dad, can we go do this? And I'd go, yeah. We'll do it later and he goes I hate later and that sense of like later means not now which means it may not happen whereas now is literally where the world exi- exists.
3: I remember Ned didn't believe in five minutes he'd be like yeah I'll do it in five minutes and he's like what's five minutes? Yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> totally. I love that uh, I love that one where uh, a friend's sister she always says I hate maybe later. Yeah and
3: Ned <laughs> does it's, that too. It's
7: so
0: good. <laughs> Okay next quote and I think it's, it might be my final one.
7: It does in a way, yeah. Certainly it does. For me, it involves God and it involves creating the conditions. Thank you. It involves creating the conditions for that awareness and awakening to take place. Now, that simply for me means the meditation and the prayer and the service, all these things, you know, doing things for other people, praying and meditating, all these things are kind of breaking down. I'm speaking personally how like say 10-15 years ago I had a completely different model for living it was still kind of resourced from the same sort of energy the same spontaneity the comedy the appetites the drives all those things were kind of in there but I was pushing those things through cultural lenses that have been placed over me like and placed over all of us. You're meant to be famous. You're meant to sleep around. You're meant to be cool and sort of edgy and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's only when those ideas smash you into a wall... That you perhaps might step back and examine them now, how like as for diagnosing who you really are, recovering the person you're intended to be, firstly, I think this is where the trust part comes in. you look at your life and think which of these things are working for me? Are these relationships serving me i e making me feel connected and happy? Is this job is this work look look at them it can be inventoried it can be understood. look at them. Have the faith that things can be better. Recognize that you will need new information, new ideas in order to change, and that some of that won't come from within you. You'll need mentors and guidance. Then, for me, it's vital that part of your life is about meditation and prayer because I sense that within, like that, whilst God may be nature, God may be the universe, God may be a million things that we can't even comprehend. One thing is for certain, as far as I'm concerned, is that God is our awareness itself. The very consciousness, the very fact that you are individually there, aware and conscious. Whoever's listening to this is aware and conscious. I am aware and conscious. What is this awareness? If I can relate to this awareness, which can be practiced through breath work, through meditation, through indeed, through psychedelic experience. If I can connect with this awareness, then I learn to see myself not as this immovable thing, but just as a sort of a series of patterns laying over the awareness. And if I have a relationship with that, I think it can unlock new psychic energy. I think it can unlock new perception. I think it can help you deal with the inevitability of death and transience. And I think it has to be done in the sort of the way that I've outlined observation of problem, belief in change. Acceptance of help, prayer, meditation.
0: That was a long one. <laughs> well,
7: like
2: I could see he said twitching. A lot. Oh, it Oh, good but,
0: but I think it's like I really do. Recently, I've like I understand the idea, this kind of spiritual idea that beneath all these ideas of who I think David is and who Stephen is and who Sarah is, that underneath all these layers of conditioning and ideas, there is an awareness. There is this kind of like underlying like watcher that is observing life and in there there's less attachment there's more freedom there's more independence and the more we can connect to that version of ourselves the freer we are and the less resistance in our lives the more we are in harmony with life and the less I'm like I'm stuck with these ideas of who I think I should be and how I, like as he said, all those layers of cultural conditioning like that we all have. It
3: was like the Surrender Experiment, that book. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, they're all see, who's the,
3: the author again of that?
0: Michael A. Singer. Thank, Thank you. you. I love that book.
3: Yeah. Yeah, if Let anyone's go. looking for a good book.
0: Oh, yeah, I want to wow. read that one again. So enjoyable.
3: Yeah. Um, There was one uh, thing that I really enjoyed from... Uh, Russell's podcast and it was on the topic of surrender uh, experiment it was about planning versus surrendering Uh, yeah. and how did you yeah
0: yeah no I listened to this morning so yeah he talked about like I I think I asked him the question like how does spontaneity versus planning because as a stand-up comedian you know obviously you're riffing off the energy in the room And you're trusting, like there's a huge inherent trust in it. But then there also is this idea of planning, like you've got time limits, you've got planning. We live in modern society where it requires lots of planning and that conversation. And he said he's moving. You know, obviously, we do have all these these programs within our heads that we are, you know, we're human doings and we fit within these boxes. But I think the more. We can connect with that spontaneity, that magic within ourselves, that freedom. Well, then creativity flows a lot better. And how there was did, a and level. he he brought that sense of planning and, and, and spontaneity and find that balance for standard? Well,
3: he said there was, an, uh, in, just to finish your point, didn't he say that there's you plan, but you don't fully plan? It's like you plan yourself, but you don't hold on to future plans. It's like plans. jazz. You so it's like it. you are prepared but then let plans just kind of unfold happen, yeah. and happen.
0: Yeah, and I think I think sometimes when I think of if I was to, z- to design my perfect day, I'd have time in the morning to kind of have an idea of what might be coming, you know, I, and I'd have that little space just to kind of contemplate and reflect. And then I'd go out and meet the day. And it might go completely different to how I would imagine it. But even that ideas of com- contemplating it and almost like in my head living it, you know, for one at time it tends to be easier to just accept and flow with it. Well,
3: you're very good because the two of you, which I've actually learned from the two of you, is that you're good at getting the things that you really value done like really early in the morning before plans can get in the way mm. so that you kind of say if it's meditating or if it is yoga or if it's even doing your book edits you'll do them at like five six in the morning well, this Obviously morning not i did everyone. stuff
0: at 4 30 i was doing stuff at 4 <laughs> 30 till about six
3: yeah, it's not a competition and other people don't need to do it i was this. up at four days <laughs> oh wow you're so cool steve the point being <laughs> that is that, that you toilet. get the things that you know you have where you feel you really need to do so that The plans for the rest of the day can just unfold, you know, because you've done what if it's like, you know, looking after yourself with that bit of meditation in the morning or if it is taking off that book edit that you really needed to get done. And I think that's a really good way of just lowering or not lowering expectations, but just relaxing into the day because you've ticked off that thing you really needed to do for you.
0: Well, I knew today there was three things that I, I knew that the day was kind of going to, like it was a day that I had to surrender to. There was loads of things in the diary that I knew I, like th- if I didn't get them done before nine o'clock, I'd be reacting and just be dust in the wind. So
3: you nearly didn't surrender to this podcast, Dave. <laughs> I nearly didn't, but hey, here
0: I am. I, you know, we're, we're here. We're still doing it. Um, Uh, so there were a few more that we wanted to pick but time is running out I wanted to give a special shout out to the wonderful John Stewart he I've often for probably almost close to two decades I've dreamt of starting a school and I got to speak to or we got to speak to someone who was a bit like Robin Williams in Dead Poet Society, this wonderful, inspiring character that create that has created an environment called Lismore Living School um in Australia. Uh, and just it just even just talking to him. It was so inspiring. And just even I, I listened to the podcast again, just prep for this and I won't get to put any of my clips, but Check it out! What a dude! What a what a wonderful kind of blueprint or ideal with which to form an education facility, and it's something that I aspire to. And anyone listening who wants to start a school, come join well, me. Well, even, even on the topic today, we had a meeting with like a, a, a friends who were like a film director and a, a, a vid- video cinematographer, and we were talking about like shooting some TV show or shooting some kind of documentary or something. Wouldn't it be fun to go to Australia and visit John and his school, and, and then maybe I'm, come up with some schools project? Oh, there we go. There's a big dream in there. There's Can I, t- can I give a shout thing.
3: out to my final one? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Sorry Dr.
3: Melanie Joy. No, no, no. Yeah, and I, think I love Melanie. Yeah, because Dr. Melanie is amazing. And I think and it, everyone should listen to her, even, I mean, listen to our podcast, obviously. But um, there's so much to learn from that. Like I was really blown away when I was listening to it. So much of it made sense, the whole concept of content versus process when you're having discussions with people and how to actually be relationally relationally literate as she said and it. she's
0: there's such a grace and elegance with how she communicates I remember before thinking oh this is going to be quite like you know real Technical. like uh, what's the word academic and then when we chatted with her it was like oh my god just you were so, so sense. graceful and elegant and just that was one of my most favourite conversations she
3: quoted it to be relationally literate is as important as being able to read and write and when you listen and you understand it's like wow if, if we could all adopt that way of responding and speaking to people I mean I feel like the world would just be a much easier place to be in but
0: totally that agree. was my
3: shout out David
0: yeah. uh, I Dr. Mangan Chatterjee I thought it was great he did a great piece on cravings which I remember really really enjoying and um I just I think he's cool he's of a lovely experience. guy I think that he, he talked that about, he talks about the freedom technique and the three F's of like you know when, when you've got a habit of like at 9pm in the evening pulling out a tub of ice cream and eating it and he just talked about the three F's like one kind of being aware of it I don't know what the F word is like the <laughs> feeling
4: really the feeling aware. which you're
0: probably trying to like you know you're maybe you're rewarding yourself for the day um so first of all being aware of the feeling and I think the second one is like you know maybe finding another habit or something and then the other F was something else you know but I think the bit that I enjoyed most about the chat was Rangan Rangan to be a friend of ours and Rangan when we first met Rangan was much more kind of down the straight and narrow of like medical and kind of allopathic medicine and like problem solution bum 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 but as he's kind of more coming into himself there's more this sense of appreciation of the softer side of medicine the sense of like what's your mindset like and how's this type of thing? And it's just really uh, amazing to see him becoming a lot more and softer. And less even, less and even mindset because that yeah, sounds you're rational. Right, yeah. I'd say more into his soul and his spirit and yeah. the curiosities of his relationship yeah. with himself because, you know, I remember even asking him, he was, his. Que- uh, you asked him a question about what was his, what vegetable would he think he w- would be if he had to pick one? And he said, well, I'm going to feel this rather than think this because I'm really making an effort to connect with my feelings more than my rational, logical brain. And yeah. I thought that was
3: he, good. He so. t- spoke a lot about nature as well. He was Yeah, really- yeah
0: Rangam's great dude so um,
3: should we summarise this by saying happy new year and yes. just say thanks
0: to anyone who's listening to this and to listen to this because uh, I think we said it at the start, one of my favourite things to come out of this year is this podcast and I think a special shout out goes to the wonderful Sarah Foster you've been listening to and the incredible man behind the recording device. Who didn't devices, want to be a part of today. That's just <laughs> such a legend, the great Sean and Cahill. the, great, the amazing yeah. Sean 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 Cahill. Cahill. And
3: thank you David and Stephen for being such wonderful podcast hosts.
0: Oh, thanks great <laughs> great I feel great about myself <laughs> but uh, yeah thanks thanks for making it this far we're really really grateful uh, and, and please you know be a part of this um, let us know what topics you'd like us to explore more guests you'd like us to have on because we love this we love exploring curiosity we've loads of ideas of things that we'd love to pursue but please ultimately you know your opinion is really vital and we're into
3: us. a lot more than Sarah talking about sex and the lads talking about being present <laughs>
0: <laughs> and if you like this and Wanna help you can uh give a, a, five thing, star a five star review on on like Apple Podcasts and on Spotify or do whatever those things that you're meant to subscribe and uh and if you share it on Instagram we'll share it. And anyway, wishing you a great day ahead. Thank you for listening. Thank bye. you, thank you, Bye thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye, bye, bye-bye, bye, bye bye, bye bye, bye bye, bye bye.